In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? A peculiar thing happens when we engage in conversations about the dedicated work of veterans military veterans, combat and non-combat veterans alike. And if we keep this conversation going, stay with it long enough, and if we're honest and truthful enough, before long, we'll be considering the strained relationships between God's peace and God's justice. In other words, in the words we heard from Isaiah, sooner or later, we'll get around to that thorny issue of God's yoke. A yoke is a wooden cross piece that harnesses two working animals together to pull in the same direction. Isaiah uses that image of the yoke that harnesses us to being God's peacemakers and a yoke that harnesses us to being God's justice workers. Which of these yokes will have the greatest pull upon our lives? Justice or peace? This can be a difficult conversation, a conversation I've found not for the faint of heart. Listen to the conversation going on today about the Ukraine and about Gaza and those seemingly intractable conflicts. Which yoke will be the yoke to which God's people are attached? Peace or justice or both? Tonight, we're taking that conversation a step beyond just peace and justice concerns. Tonight, our conversation is about people who will actually bear the weight of the yoke. Tonight we're thinking about and we're remembering the people who, on our behalf, bear the responsibility for peace and justice and who are harnessed under that yoke are veterans. Come with me to an event that occurred about a decade ago on this same November weekend in a northern state at the diocesan cathedral. That night, there was another commemoration of Veterans Day. Like this evening, we are in that annual moment when we were remembering the event inspired on the 11th month of the 11th day at the 11th hour in 1918 when the armistice was signed to end the First World War. And we are honoring those who fought ever since. We were remembering all the military veterans who served and sacrificed for their country, most of whom never consciously thought of their time in uniform as either service 
or being sacrificial. Like this evening, I was the preacher for the event. Before the service began, we were all standing in the sacristy of the cathedral, and I was told that there would be two particular groups of people on either side of the front row seats in the nave. The two groups were Gold Star Mothers and Tuskegee Airmen from World War II. Distinctly, I remember being very surprised and thinking and then saying, well, that's very impressive. Initially, I was, for the most part, unfazed by the news of their presence. You see, I considered myself to be ultimately qualified and ready for any and all events that honored veterans. I'd served over 30 years on active duty in the Navy in uniform, the overwhelming majority of which was with Navy and Marine Corps. I was a combat veteran, having served 12 months, a scant few miles from the demilitarized zone in Vietnam. Smugly, I thought I knew the territory. The service of Evensong began, and eventually it was time for the preacher to climb the stairs into the pulpit. When I got up into the high up in the air pulpit in the cathedral, I looked to my left and I looked to my right at those two groups seated there, and it hit me. Perhaps, and not, not to be overly poetic, it struck me. Forcibly, it struck me. Immediately, I forgot about the other 150 so or so people in the congregation in the nave. The only people who had my attention were the mothers and the airmen. At the speed of light, a striking revelation came to me. What could I possibly say to them? What could I say to Gold Star mothers who'd lost a son or a daughter in action or in combat? In my uniform career as a Navy chaplain, I delivered more than my share of casualty or death notifications. Every one of those precious Gold Star mothers reminded me of my knock on the door or the ringing of a doorbell. Those memories are indelibly etched into my mind. What could I possibly say to combat aviator Tuskegee Airmen and their dependents? They were black men who, though at the time of their service were not fully valued by their country, nevertheless were willing to fly their aircraft directly into harm's way on their combat missions. What could I possibly say to them? Thank you for your service? I think not. A statement of a friend and fellow combat veteran of mine came to mind. I'm tired of being T-Y-F-Y-S'd to death. No, I think not. That night I began to learn that we needed to recognize their sacrifice and we needed to hear their stories. I began to learn that there's a connection between their sacrifices and the person of our devotion, the Christ who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Since then, I've been impressed that there's a hardwired connection between the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of veterans. Amongst all the important reasons we commemorate Veterans Day each year, 
and thusly commemorate the devotion of our military veterans is to take this opportunity to focus upon their often selfless acts of sacrifice. Sacrifice is an essential part of our Christian tradition, a character value which over and over again Jesus highlights for us. As a career army friend of mine tells me, true sacrifice is putting aside one's own needs and placing the needs of the other first. He goes on to say that faithful sacrifice is to experience life focused upon a life in the way God wants us to live. Brother and sister veterans, I recognize that if we surveyed all of you this evening and asked you about your time in uniform, particularly about your sacrifices, you'd probably report that you'd never spent much time thinking about your time in uniform as sacrifice. Yet, of all the things that you, our military veterans, can remind us of and can point us toward, sacrifice for me is the most prominent. Our country and our faith community needs you and needs to remember your sacrifices. They need to hear of your sacrifice. You were either sacrificing or you were getting ready to sacrifice. I know that full well from my years of service. As we bring Veterans Day into the context of our Christian faith tradition, ideas of sacrificial service begin to move from the shadows of our subconscious mind into our real-time consciousness. Each year on Veterans Day, we have the opportunity to not only thank our veterans for their commitment to our country, but to also thank them for the sacrifices that they've made. As some of you may know, we have what we call a patron saint for veterans. That person is St. Martin of Tours. In the Episcopal Church, we even have a religious order of veterans called the Hospitallers of St. Martin. Martin's life is a beacon of light that helps us to be focused upon sacrifice. Martin was born in the fourth century after Christ in an area which today is the nation of Hungary. It's important to note that just before Martin was born, the practice of Christianity, which had been outlawed, was made legal in the vast expanse of the Roman Empire. No more were Christ followers persecuted, though not the official religion of the empire. Christianity could be openly practiced. Seizing upon this opportunity early in life, Martin made the decision that he was going to be a follower of Christ. Martin's father was a ranking Roman army officer in northern Italy. Because of this family connection, Martin, too, was expected to serve in the Roman army, and that he did. This is a family connection which many of you will recognize as you remember and rehearse the generations of men and women in your own families who have served in uniform. As the saga has been handed and passed down to us, one cold day, Martin the soldier was on his horse when he encountered a scantily clothed and freezing beggar. 
having compassion upon the beggar, Martin is said to have dismounted, to have removed his cloak, and with his sword cut the cloak in half, giving one half of the garment to the beggar and retaining the other half for himself. Later that night, Martin said to have had a dream in which Christ appeared to him, saying, Martin, a mere catechumen has clothed me. A catechumen was and is one who is on the long journey of learning the Christian faith. And Martin was on that journey. After a time, Martin left the Roman military and pursued the Christian faith to be ordained into holy orders. Yet regardless of his public praise in the church as a priest and later as a bishop, the single most lasting remembrance we have of Martin's contribution to the ages is his sacrifice. Sacrifice is the touchstone that bonds us to Martin and bonds veterans together in a lifelong fellowship. My Uncle John, an Army veteran from World War II, had been awarded two bronze stars for his valor during combat operations in France. On the occasion of his 90th birthday, his children, his grandchildren, his nieces and nephews had a big celebration for him. John, also known as Staff Sergeant Magnus, and his wife had three children. None of them had served in the military, and none of them knew any of the poignant details of John's military service. On many an occasion, they had asked him about the details, but he remained mum. During the birthday party, I was sitting beside John and casually asked him, if, John, would you be willing to share some of the details of what happened during your war? I remember his initial hesitance to talk to me, since everyone in the room, particularly his children, were laser-focused upon what he was about to say. After a long pause, he looked at me and began talking, never once looking away from my face, and told me his stories, some of which were hard and gritty stories. Staff Sergeant Magnus chose to confide in me when he'd never before even told these combat stories to his own children. Why? I think now over a decade later, I know, he needed to be able to talk to another veteran who could grasp and appreciate the personal sacrifices you make when you're under fire and in combat. You needed someone who might just understand. I don't know about you, but in my daily life, I don't have many conversations about sacrifice. More often than not, my conversations are about the quid pro quo life of transactionalism. You know, I give you something, and as long as you're going to give me something of equal or greater value in return. In our country, we've just gone through, or maybe I should say have endured, the annual cycle of local and statewide elections. Regardless of our party affiliations, I think most of us would conclude that every election speech is required to contain the appeal to what's in it for me. Martin's life is important because it points toward another entire way of living life, the way of being a Christ follower. 
That other way is to live our lives less interested in ourselves and more interested in others. The countercultural Martin is a reminder to us of who we are as followers of Christ. We proclaim a God who was the absolute embodiment of sacrifice. You will remember the story of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he went to the cross. In the garden, he had a horrible and eternally lasting decision to make. After three episodes of prayerfully asking God to take from him the burden of going to the cross, Jesus finally made the decision to sacrifice all of his own desires, needs, and inclinations, and the next day allow himself to be placed upon a cross for us and for our sins. Jesus sacrificed all that he had so that we might have forgiveness into eternity. Jesus was and is the ultimate embodiment of sacrifice. My friend Logan, himself an Army combat veteran and an author, has commented that the majority of our fellow citizens have a difficult time understanding and comprehending military service, and particularly struggle with the nature of the sacrifices veterans make. He's written that we, and I quote here, are hardwired to gravitate toward the most superficial stories, reinforcing our preconceived notions. Civilian narratives write out veterans and military families because they don't know what to do with the morally complicated reality of their suffering and their service. How complicated? Let me tell you about my friend Jim. During the Vietnam War, Jim was a combat pilot who flew an F-100 aircraft. During the span of 12 months, he flew 240 combat missions and lived to talk about it. Last year, Jim and his squadron mates made an astounding trip back to Vietnam to go where they had been stationed and then to meet with some of their opposite numbers, North Vietnamese soldiers. Sitting across a table in Hanoi, Vietnam, after a very tense introduction between men who 50 years before had been trying to kill one another, they finally were able to be honest with one another. The aviators and the soldiers ultimately got to the point of affirming a striking reality. You were doing for your country what your country asked you to do, and we were doing for our country what our country asked us to do. Today, it's not personal like it was back then. As they finished their day together, one of the American aviators, whom Jim describes as before the meeting being the greatest skeptic of the group, affirmed, when you get right down to it, we're all the same human beings. Perhaps as we lean into the morally complicated nature of the work of a veteran, particularly of the combat veteran, reconciliation between formerly committed enemies may just be possible. And when it does, such as with Jim, his squadron mates, and the North Vietnamese soldiers, a miracle of God's doing happens. Reconciliation 
is between God, individuals, and our neighbors, some of whom may have been our enemies. In my world of pulpit preparation time, many of my colleagues continually want us to remind everyone that as God's comfortable people, we need to be about the business of afflicting the comfortable. And while that may be true, I think that Veterans Day is the time when we need to reverse the equation. We need to be about the business of comforting the afflicted. Tonight, we're saying to you, my fellow veterans, that we need and want for there to be a spirit of healing in our faith communities, in our towns, in our cities, and in our nation. The message of Jesus to you is, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus' story reminds us that in life, from time to time, there are sacrificial people in our lives who have holy character. Sacrificial people are those who care for all sorts and conditions of people in need. When they do, they exhibit that holy character. I'm continually impressed that the persons who have the holy and sought-after character are much more than those who have achieved great things and have an alphabet soup of letters after their names. In fact, just the opposite is true. Those who have sacrificed are those who are to be not only admired, but those whose lives are called to be the pattern for our lives. This Veterans Day weekend comes on the heels of one of our principal feasts of the church, All Saints Day. That's not lost on me, and it shouldn't be lost on you. A little over a week ago, we remembered the saintly people in our lives and commemorated the faithful departed. I think that if we went around the congregation and asked all of you to recall the saintly people who were prominent in your lives, that many of you would tell stories about the quiet people who made quite a difference in your life, many of whom may have made sacrifices for you. This evening, we remember the sacrifices that veterans have made on our behalf. Veterans, brothers and sisters, we know about the sacrifice because we have seen what you've done. And as we worship a risen Savior who sacrificed his life for us, we get it. Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to follow in the holy steps that St. Martin took that at the last we may be found clothed with the cloak of Christ's righteousness and live in God's dwellings of peace. Amen.